Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter number 6. While you're turning there, let me make a few introductory remarks. I just wonder if you would be surprised if I said this morning that you are at war. And I'm not talking about your marriage. <laughs> you... Somebody might be thinking, well, I've been at war for years, and uh, that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about terrorism or the culture war. I'm not talking about politics. Every Christian is at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, all of the temptations that come to us, come from these sources. Everything that would drag us down, defeat us, and destroy us comes from these sources. But this morning, I want to be more specific than that, and I want to speak to you about the war with worry. The war with worry. And it wouldn't do you any good to try to tell me that you don't have a problem with that. We all do, don't we? Life is tough, and we all face struggles of some sort. And because of that, we all have a tendency to worry. And whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're ill, whether you're healthy, whether you're famous, whether you're totally unknown, there's something that causes us to worry. The good news is... As Christians, we can win the war against worry. And that's good news. Here in Matthew chapter number 6, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to pick up our reading in verse number 25, where the Lord is speaking and He says, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought, for your life. That, that's another way of saying, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious or fearful. Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than remnant? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, we see the Lord picturing our war with worry, and let's face it, most of us are losing. Most of us are going down in defeat because we worry far too much. To make matters worse, we treat it as though it is a minor matter when it's not. You know, we excuse it by saying, well, you know, everybody worries. We're just human. What do you expect? I mean, or we say, you know, if you knew all of the problems that I've got, you would worry too. And so we we treat it as though it's something that's not all of that important, when in reality it is a very serious matter. It's serious because it's sinful. You know, if I stood up here this morning and I said, you ought not to uh, steal from people, well, we'd all take that serious, right? If If I stood up here and said, we ought not do drugs, and, you know, the list goes on and on. But when I stand here and say the Bible commands us to be anxious for nothing, that is to not worry about anything, most of us are looking for some loophole, some way out. And we just don't want to face the fact that it is sinful for us to worry. It's sinful because it is disobedience to God. It's destructive. It distracts us from what is important. It defeats us in what we're trying to accomplish. And ultimately, it destroys us as far as our effectiveness goes in the kingdom of God. Well, thankfully, the Bible shows us how we can win this war with worry. Now, the first thing we need to do is to consider the cause, and there are a number of things, and I don't have to guess at these because here in our text you'll notice that our Lord Himself points these out for us. The things that cause us to worry. Look at verse number 25. Notice the first thing that He mentions pertains to food. He says, take, take no thought, don't worry about what ye shall Eat. Now, you know, this might be last on the list for Americans, but it is first on the list for a lot of people in the world because millions starve to death every year. And here in America, we have an abundance of food to eat, right? I mean, I don't know of anybody that's literally going hungry. I know, you know, there are people that maybe they can't get what they want. Maybe uh, they can't afford, you know, to eat ribeye steak every day or or whatever it might be. But I don't know anyone that's literally starving because most all of us have an abundance of food. The sad fact of the matter is, we're wasteful in America. We, we don't think anything about it, right? I mean, that's the point. And, and I said we. I, di- I didn't say you. I'm talking about all of us because this, this is what happens when we prosper so greatly. I can remember as a boy, it was a common thing. You didn't throw anything away till it was all gone. I mean, you had leftovers, and then you had leftovers after that. And, uh, and, and sometimes the leftovers were better than what was served originally, you know, Mom 
make mashed potatoes, and Bev still does this sometimes, you know, with the mashed potatoes, and the next day you get the tater cakes, and boy, th- those are better than the mashed potatoes. And, uh, and, and then, you know, whatever you couldn't eat, you finally fed to the dog. And so somebody got something out of all of it. But there are a lot of people that are fretting over not being able to satisfy their appetite. Now, we're not starving, but but around the world, there's numerous people that are fearful. They're living in fear every day of whether they're going to have any food to eat or not. They're searching through garbage dens and things of that nature, anywhere they can look trying to find food. And so the Lord steps on the scene and He says, Remember, he's speaking about his people here, not the world in general. A lot of times we wonder why this third world country is in the condition that it's in and, and, and all of the horrible things that's going on there. And we wonder, you know, how does a country get in a condition like that? And it doesn't take long as you research their history, you'll find it's a nation that has turned its back on God. You see, there's a reason for that, by the way. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't sympathize with those people that are starving to death. Certainly, we should. We ought to feel for them deeply and care about them sincerely. But I'm I'm telling you, there is a reason why those things happen. And there are people today that are, are fearful. Now... The Apostle Paul, whenever he was speaking about being shipwrecked, and he gives a long list of things that he had gone through. And he mentions even being in hunger. Now think about this. Here is a spiritual giant. Here is a church planner. Here is a great man of God. And God allowed him to be beaten and persecuted and shipwrecked. And, and he talked about hungering and fasting and, and, and was thirsty and gone through all of those things. And this is the same man that says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. Think about that. Because generally when we think about the Apostle Paul and him saying, I've learned to be content, we're thinking about him speaking only out of an abundance. And we need to understand that here is a man that knew both extremes of life. He said, I know how to abound. I know how to live. In other words, when I got a lot, I know how to be a base. I know how to live, you know, whenever it's all gone and people hate me and everything is wrong. I still have learned to be content. This is the same man that tells us that we're to rejoice in the Lord always and to be anxious for nothing. Now notice, not only food, but fashion. Look at verse 25. What ye shall put on. Now look at verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and, and they toil not, and neither do they spend. I don't know of anyone that doesn't have something to wear, do you? I mean, all of my life I've wanted one of these shark skin colored suits, and I've had some gray suits, but I've never had one like this. And uh, and now I do. And, uh, and, And I'm so very thankful for that. But I had something to wear before before Bev got this for me. And I don't know anyone that says, now, I know that it's a common thing for women to look in the closet and rummage through this. I just don't have anything to wear today. That's a common expression 
99.9% of all women have said that. Am I right, ladies? Have you? Okay. Some of them's frowning now. They're, they laughed about the birthday suit part, but they're frowning now. Uh, but it's not just true of the women. We're all that way, right? I, I don't know of anyone that could, could literally say, I don't know what I'm going to put on. I, I You know... Uh, I don't have any clothes. I mean, that seems pretty extreme. And yet the Lord says, I don't want you to worry about food. I don't want you to worry about fashion. And let's face it, most of the time when we talk about not having anything to wear, what we really mean is, well, I don't have, I don't have what's the, the latest fashion. Isn't it amazing that we let fashion designers dictate to us what we wear? It really is. And they know that. And so every few years, what they do, they say, well, you know, the wide ties are out. It's all thin ties now. And, and, and then they go from the thin to the medium, back to the wide ties, and they just keep us on this merry-go-round all of the time, spending our money trying to stay in fashion. And let's face it, the kids here, if you said, okay, I'm going to take you down tomorrow and buy you some new tennis shoes, uh, a new, a new, some spalding. <laughs> yeah. You tr- you tried that. It, it doesn't work very well. They don't want Spalding. They want Nike or Chuck Taylors or, you know, whatever. They want something different than that because it's in fashion. And, and we worry too much about fashion and worry too much about the material things in life. But look at verse 27. He's having spoken about food and fashion. He speaks about fitness. Here he says in verse number 27, which of you by taking thought, that is, by worrying and fretting about it, can add one cubit unto his stature. Now, I've said before, whenever I was growing up, and I, my dad was 5'8", and uh, I always, for some reason, I had an uncle that was this big hunk of a man, you know. I mean, he just, uh, he had cold black hair, a real good-looking guy. He's a plumber and great big muscles, not an ounce of fat on him, about six foot tall. And I always thought, boy, I'd like to look like Uncle Irvin. Man, that's what I want to look like, Uncle Irvin. And I, 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 I was so hoped that I'd get to six foot, and I mean, I would measure myself, you know, there on the on the door, you know, and make a mark and measure it, and I never forget. I wanted to be six feet tall, you know, like that was really something, like you know, that was a magic number. And I'll never forget when I finally got there. I thought, wow, I've arrived, but. Then I saw these pictures of Charles Atlas in the magazine. That guy was everywhere. And this little ad said, you know, had a, a, a picture of Charles Atlas out there standing on the beach and, uh, and a, you know, and a little scrawny guy laying there on a the blanket with a girl and another guy running by and kicked sand in his face and said something, you don't want people kicking sand in your face, have a body like Charles Atlas. So I thought, well, okay, maybe that can happen. So I started, you know, lifting weights and doing things like that. Well, I, I never quite got there. That was harder than the six-foot mark, I think. But the whole point, why are we so worried about our physical appearance? Now, listen, don't get me wrong. A lot of people have the opinion that, well, you just come to church any old way. They think that song, Just As I Am, re- refers to refers to how you dress, and it doesn't. 
I believe, you know, we used to have a phrase, your Sunday go to meet in best clothes, you know. I think we ought to dress appropriate for God's house. So that's not what I'm saying, but I'm simply saying we'd put too much emphasis upon our appearance. We've got young girls today that feel inferior, unwanted, second class, and everything else because they don't look like some supermodel. Let me tell you, that might be the best thing that ever happened for you. Don't you worry about that. There are things more important in life than your physical appearance. You'd be surprised how many people have emotional problems that have developed all as a result of the fact that they are worried about their fitness or their appearance. Now, look at verse 34. The Lord mentions something else, and this has to do with the future. He says, take no thought for the morrow. In other words, that's the future. Don't take any thought about it. Someone said the average person is crucifying himself between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. And that's what's happening. People making themselves miserable to look back and, and with all of these regrets and they just can't get past the past. And if they're not focused on the past, then they're worried about the future, what might be. And the Lord says, take no thought for the morrow. You see, we worry too much about what might happen. This has nothing to do with intelligent, legitimate, wise planning, by the way. We ought to go to the ant and learn some things from the ant, and, 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 and we ought to be prepared for things. This is talking about taking one day at a time. This is talking about not fretting over what might happen if you read all of the uh, the uh, theorists, conspiracies, and things you know that that nature. The preppers, and boy, you can be a basket case in just a little while reading all of that. I, I started jotting down a few notes and about uh, this electronic pulse and the sunspot. And I, I don't know if anybody been reading this or not. Uh, here some time ago there was this this big explosion on the sun and and uh, as a result of that the electronic pulse that we depend upon for all of our computers our cell phones and everything else you know that uh, uh, all of that stuff and they said well it, it happened but it didn't affect us this time but it's just a matter of time until it does and, and can you imagine what would happen if suddenly we didn't have any computer service, no cell phone service, all of these electronic devices, all of a sudden there was a shutdown. I mean, look, it, you think, well, that wouldn't really affect me. Oh, yeah, it would. It would affect, you know, whether you could get an ambulance or not or a police officer or not. It would affect you in every way. It would affect whether you're able to get utilities at your home. And all of that can happen. Let me tell you, you can sit and you can read that stuff and you can worry yourself uh, into a tither. And, and I mean, just tie yourself in knots worried about that stuff. Things that actually, literally could happen. And you need to remind yourself the Lord told you don't do it. Don't sit around and worry about what might happen. Well, whenever you really look at all of these things, 
If we could just roll it up in one ball of wax, put it in one statement, here's what the real cause is, and that's flagging faith. I mean, that's a, a, a failure of faith. That's when you're lacking in faith. When your faith has diminished to the point that you're not trusting God for the future. There's a little poem that somebody wrote, says, Though I know not what awaits me, what the future has in store, yet I know the Lord is faithful, and I have proved Him off before. You need to remember that, folks. One day at a time. We're to pray for what? Our daily bread, is that right? Our daily bread. We're not to worry about what's down the road somewhere, but rather just take it one day at a time. Now, for those of you that might be thinking, well, you know, he's getting all been out of shape this morning about something that's not that big of a deal. Well, let me, let me show you why this is important and consider the consequences of worry. Three things. Number one, it harms you. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm just worried sick? You probably are. You probably are. If you're not, you will be if you keep worrying. Because it affects you physically. It affects you emotionally. It affects you in absolutely every area of your life, including spiritual. Why? Well, because it's sinful, and sinful because it's disobedience. And so it's going to affect your ability to have communion with the Lord. That is, fellowship with the Lord. It affects you every way. So it harms you. Secondly, it hinders others. You know, if it just if it just harmed you, that's one thing. If you didn't hurt anybody else, you know, that'd be one thing. But it always hinders other people. I was reading a quote by D.L. Moody, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something to the effect about these people that are always worrying. And he said, you can see them coming with their long faces, and you just dread the, the, their last step when they're standing before you. And, and all of a sudden, they begin to, to pour out all of their complaints about how terrible life is. I know what he meant by that. I mean, you, you, you know what I'm talking about because there are no doubt people that you can think of and you, you love them, but you just dread being around them for that very reason. I'm thinking about a good preacher friend and a dear friend of mine, and it got so that as much as I loved that man, I just almost dreaded being around him because I knew exactly where every conversation was headed. And it was all about all of the bad stuff in the world rather than the good things that we could be talking about. You see, when we worry all of the time, it affects everybody else. It affects your children. Sometimes we wonder, you know, why our children aren't happy. Well, good night. Just, you know, think about what they have to listen to. Mom and dad sitting around, you know, dumping their load of worry on these little kids all of the time. You should never be talking about those adult things in front of the kids anyway. Well, we, I don't know how we're going to pay our bills this week, and I don't know how we're going to do this, and I don't know how we'll get a vacation in this year, and here you're dumping all of that on that little kid. That's just not fair. They shouldn't have to worry about that. You see, it hinders others. Especially it hinders them by way of your testimony. Because it tears it to pieces. 
How are you going to witness to them whenever you're acting like God is dead or mighty sick? Really, think about that. It hinders your ability to be a testimony to them. Here's the worst thing about worry, and that's the fact that it hurts God. Did you ever think about that, that you can literally hurt the heart of God? That's why he tells us over in Ephesians chapter number 4, he tells us, grieve not that Holy Spirit. That word grieve is a, is a word, it's a love word. And, 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 and it expresses someone that loves you, but someone that is hurting because of you. You see, the neighbor down the street, I, he can't do anything to make me grieve. I don't even know him, so I, you know, I don't love him if I don't know him, right? So, you know, if he does something wrong, I might get angry with him in a sense, but he doesn't really hurt me. But when it's someone I know and someone I love and they disappoint me, hurt me in some way, that hurts deeply. But did you ever think about hurting the heart of God, grieving God? And that's what we do when we worry. You know, if I, if I committed some of those other sins I've mentioned this morning, we would all agree, well, that, that surely would grieve the heart of God, right? We'd all agree with that. Yeah, I saw Brother Stone stagger out of the bar the other night. He's so drunk, he's a skunk, he couldn't hardly walk, you know. Boy, that must grieve the heart of God. Well, of course it would. But God's grieved when I'm sitting there wringing my hands and sweat on my brow and I, I'm just all feverish and in a tither and, and worrying about everything under the sun. God's not at all pleased with that. It hurts God. Now, that brings us down to what do we do about this? Because I think every one of us would have to admit that at some point in time we're all guilty of worrying more than we should. So what do we do? Number one, face your fears. As I said before, usually we want to excuse them. We want to dismiss them. And admitting you have a problem is always the first step in solving the problem. You can't help an alcoholic until they admit they're an alcoholic. Most of them say, well, I take a drink now and then, but I'm not an alcoholic. I can quit any time I want. Oh, yeah, sure you can. Why don't you try? Well, I don't want to. And they don't want to admit they are enslaved to alcohol. And regardless of the nature of the problem, we, need, we have to get to that point that we face our problem, and that's true whenever it concerns the matter of worry. You see, worry, because it is a sin, it needs to be confessed like any other sin. And week after week, all across the nation, sermons are preached, invitations are given, people respond, confessing adultery, confessing drunkenness, confessing all of these other sins. But I've got to wonder, how often is it someone with tears in their eyes falls on their face before God and confesses, Oh, dear God, I am so sorry that I have offended you and I've hurt others by worrying and fretting and filled with anxiety. You're never going to conquer it until you admit it exists. Facing our fear. Secondly, we need to have faith in our Father. Did you notice that little part in our text where the Lord spoke about the Gentiles? 
He said, for such are the Gentiles. In other words, this is the way they think. This is the way they act. Well, the Gentiles are those that did not have a relationship with God, those that were not Jews, not a part of God's covenant people. And today we would, you know, maybe speak about those that are unsaved. We don't expect the world to behave like Christians, but Christians ought to behave like Christians. And we need to have faith in our Father knowing that, number one, that He has promised to take care of His children. And secondly, He's proven that He will. And we never conquer our worry till we increase our faith, and we'll get to that in a minute. Look at verse 34. Also, we have to forget the future. We talked about that earlier, didn't we? Take no thought of tomorrow. Now, now, don't misunderstand. Sometimes it's helpful to think about the future in terms of your goals and in terms of the glory that awaits. It's helpful to think about the future in regards to those things, the things that God has promised. But it's harmful when we start thinking about things that might happen. That's where it gets bad, and that's where the difference is. Somebody said, you know, you Christians think so much about heaven, you're no earthly good, and that's wrong. We don't think enough about heaven. We, you know, think so much about the earth that we're no heavenly good. That, that's where the real root of the problem is. So it does us good to think about heaven. Why? Because those are things that, that, that are certain, things that God has promised. Focus on that. That's well and good. But don't sit around thinking about what might happen. My wife might leave me. Well, you keep acting like that, you're just increasing the odds. Sure, she might leave you. Your kids might run away. Your house might burn down. There's no telling what might happen. But you need to forget about the future in the sense that you're worrying about what might happen. Here's what you need to do. Verse 33, you need to focus on your faithfulness. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And these things, what things? All of the things He's been talking about whether it's clothing or food or whatever it is, all of these things shall be added unto you. Focus on your faithfulness. Let me me just three quick things that will really help you to do that. Number one, start every day by reading this verse. Verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Start every day by reading that or quoting that, thinking about that. Secondly, schedule everything you do around what God wants. And if there's a conflict, it ought to be easy for you to sort it out and to say, all right, this is going to conflict with what God wants me to do, and you mark that off of the list. Number three, stay on course until the very end. I love what Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight and I've kept the faith. I mean, wouldn't it be good to come right down to the very end of life with no regrets and to be able to step off on the shores of sweet deliverance knowing that you have lived a life well lived and assured that you'll hear the Master say, Well done, 
thy good and faithful servant. Stay on course until the very end. Don't let anything turn you aside. One last thing, if we're going to do this, and it relates back to faith in our Father, and here's what we have to do. We have to fuel our faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. If you want to increase your faith. Now look, you see, you're never going to overcome your fears, and that's what worry is. You'll never overcome your fears until you increase your faith, and you can't increase your faith without a regular diet of God's Word. Turn in your Bibles over to the book of Philippians chapter number 4. And I I can't even begin to tell you how much these verses have helped me over the years. What I'm about to read is better than any self-help book or all of them ever put together would be. Verse 6, be careful for what? All right, there's no loopholes then, right? No excuses, no way out. He said, don't worry about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Look, if you're not doing that, let's stop there for a minute. If you're not doing that, you'll never conquer worry. But he doesn't end there. That's where he starts. Notice what he says. Verse 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep, that is, guard and protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And here it is. This is what I want you to notice. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Notice. Honest. Pure. Lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and what? And the peace of God shall be with you. He didn't say life will suddenly become problem free. That's not what he said. He didn't say there will never be any more difficulties. That's not the point. He said the peace of God will be with you. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not these things that he mentions here. Things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report. If you summed all of those statements up, how would you do it? Well, I think it'd be easy to just say every one of those things is descriptive of Jesus Christ. Think on these things. Meditate, not just giving an occasional thought. Remember, I said start every day in God's Word. And as we think upon those things, which is descriptive of Christ, what happens? Suddenly, although our circumstances have not changed, we have, and now we are able to live at peace, even with our same problems. Suddenly, we find ourselves winning the war against worry. 
You know, it's basically what the writer tells us in Hebrews 12, where he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then he says, consider him. And right down at the very end of verse 3, that ye faint not. You want to keep going? You want to keep your head up? You want to stay strong? You want to live a worry-free life? That is the only way to do it, keeping your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, let me say this, and I'm through. If you're here today and God's not your Father, that is, Christ is not your Savior, you've never repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please understand, nothing I've said here pertains to you. You've got a lot to worry about. You ought to be worried. You ought to be fearful. Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's where you're headed. Because the Bible says as unbelievers you are condemned already. And the only path to peace for you is through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to tell you, you don't have to live a defeated life. Life can be better than what you've experienced so far. Much better than you ever imagined. But it all starts with you having a right relationship with God. You see, we go through life trying to fix this and trying to fix that and and trying to correct all of these problems and get this and get that. And finally we think, oh boy, if that works out, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. Until you have a relationship with God, regardless of what you do or what you have, will never be enough to satisfy you. Only Christ can satisfy. And every Christian ought to be able to attest to that fact. I don't have anything to worry about because it's all in the hands of my Heavenly Father. And He never makes any mistakes. Amen? Well, Bev and I have been thinking a lot this last week about the journey that we've been on together. And if you can you can imagine, here's a little teenage girl with three kids already and a drunkard for a husband. And and all of a sudden he gets saved. And two months later, this nutcase says, God wants me to be a preacher. And he surrenders to preach. And all of a sudden she's slapped in the face with the reality that he's going to be a preacher now. <laughs> And even though she thought she was saved at the time, she really wasn't even saved. She was, she was the best unsaved pastor's wife anybody ever had. I'll guarantee you that. And I'm telling you, it was a fearful journey there in the beginning, not just for me, it was for her also. And we can look back on those years, and I can remember time and time again that others urged me to make decisions that would have been a detriment to my service for the Lord. They meant well, but it would have been a detriment and distracted me from what God wanted me to do. And we haven't been perfect, but we've tried to stay by the stuff these years. And I'm saying all of that to say this, not to boast or anything. I'm saying that to say this. We've put God to the test over and over and over again. And he never failed to come through. I can remember Kathy Jean going to, going to school with cardboard to, because she had holes in the bottom of her shoes and we put cardboard in the bottom to cover up the holes and, and uh, just trusted God that we got something better. And, 
And he just kept giving and giving and giving and giving. And he's never stopped. He's never failed. Let me tell you, if he wouldn't fail me, I promise you he won't fail you. You can trust him, would you, while we stand together? Father, how we thank you for these exceeding great and precious promises. And Lord, I pray this morning that each and every one of us might determine in our heart to seek first above everything else, your kingdom. God, may we pledge our allegiance to you alone this morning. May we give you everything we have, as, as, as worthless as it is. Let us hold back nothing but give you everything we have and trust you, not only to use us, but trust you to provide whatever our needs might be. And Heavenly Father, there are folks here today going through real life difficult struggles. There are people that are, that are ill, people whose bodies are racked with pain. There might be situations with domestic strife and a marriage on the rocks. The little kids in a quandary not knowing what might happen. And the list goes on and on and on, but Lord, we know that the answer, the answer for every situation is you. And may the blessed Holy Spirit help them make that discovery this morning. And may they do whatever it is that, that you would have them to do. Let us put you first in our life and trust you each step of the way. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen.